Welcome to the It's Hard to Know podcast, a podcast about PMA, mental health, finding and staying on a path in a world that makes it pretty difficult to do so. I'm your host, Michael Hank Renfro, and thanks for joining us today. All right, it's uh, Monday, June 29th, uh, a little bit late on this one again. Um, I recorded this uh, week's interview on June 11th and hoped to have uh, gotten it out last week. But uh, as I mentioned on last week's episode, which was also late, that uh, I was dealing with a little bit of uh, health stuff. So uh, first, thanks uh, <laughs> to those that that checked in, I certainly did not intend to uh, put as much ambiguity out there in the world as I did by mentioning um, my my health scare. But basically, um, I've got uh, a family history of uh, liver disease. Uh, I had an aunt that uh, had a transplant. My dad has some liver issues. My grandfathers both independently apparently have had liver issues. My niece does as well. And uh, I guess one way or another, uh, or sooner or later, if not already, then I do too. Or I have it as well to some degree. And I guess it's a good thing to you know catch it early, make lifestyle adjustments to account for it and, you know, manage it and all that good stuff. So at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, I guess, or it is that big of a deal. I just said I had an aunt that had a transplant, so it absolutely could be um, a big deal, but I'm approaching it, uh, at least for the time being, as if it's not that big of a deal. I'll have to obviously monitor it. I'll have to severely limit my alcohol consumption, which is not that big of a deal. I don't drink all that much anymore as I've uh, gotten older. I still love beer, uh, and wine, and a margarita, and a Bloody Mary, but I'll just have to limit those things, and that's fine. Uh, I think the one thing that I'm actually uh, worried about is that I've been taking sleeping pills for well over 20 years now, which probably has not been the healthiest thing uh, for my liver, but um, I am worried about having to stop those and then trying to figure out new strategies for sleep. So I'll cross that bridge uh, when when I get there. Uh, wow, we are, I think, what, week 16 or 17 of the plague years now, and here in Texas, I mentioned on last week's <clears throat> episode, sorry, my voice and allergies are just crazy right now. I don't know if you saw in the news that uh, there was this Saharan dust cloud that was coming up through the Gulf and into Texas. And I went and hiked uh, Saturday and Sunday, both days uh, this weekend. And the the air was strange. I remember <laughs> Saturday morning, I left the house and I was driving to this place called Mineral Wells State Park about an hour and 45 minutes maybe from from where I live uh, and I left the house pretty early and as I was driving through Fort Worth I couldn't see the skyline but I didn't really connect the Saharan thing to this and then 
finally looked and saw why it was so um, uh, pollution-y. I don't know if there's a right word for that, but uh, I think being outside both days this weekend really screwed with my my allergies and my voice. So, but uh, anyway, yeah. So like week sixteen or seventeen in the play gears, uh, I mentioned on last week's episode that things were starting to pick up again here with COVID in Texas. And Friday, the governor shut the bars down. Governor. The governor uh, shut the bars down, limited restaurant capacity. So things are uh, either pausing on reopening or starting to close back down. But then, of course, uh, Vice President Pence comes to Texas and holds this rally in a mega church. So, you know, mixed messages. It just, it's going to be a long summer, folks. It's going to be a long summer, but at least at a minimum, the great thing about hiking and camping is that there are very few people around. Uh, and so, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday afternoon, once, uh, once I wrap up with work, going to hit the road, drive to Amarillo, sleep for the night, and then go into New Mexico, uh, and camp in Carson national forest for hopefully four nights Weather forecast has uh, thunderstorms coming through uh, Friday into Saturday. So if I have to pack up early and come home, so be it. But at least I'll have two to three solid nights of solitude in the mountains. Uh, The website where you reserve campsites says there is no signal, no cell signal anywhere around. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, got a couple books that I'm going to be taking along in my trusty notebook. Uh, I've been working on a couple episodes uh, that'll be solo episodes. Um, some that are super personal in nature and some that are um, like the uh, two episodes back where I talked about uh, race relations and everything that was going on right now. And there are some things that I do want to get into in the political space. And, you know, I really want to not turn this into, um, that talks about politics and electoral politics. Like I don't want to talk about fucking Joe Biden and Donald Trump or any of that shit, but I do want to talk about some political theory, political philosophy, and even some political policy and how that could be implemented. But I really want to avoid as much as possible mentioning Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And I think this might've been the first time if this is episode seven or eight. I think this is the first time I've mentioned either of those two and I don't plan to do much of that, but I do want to talk about, you know, police reform, mental health reform, uh, drug policy reform, uh, prison reform, um, eliminating or not eliminating, reducing the defense budget. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about. Um, and obviously those things have to be executed and carried out in our political system, but the electoral politics part of it is just, I'm not interested in it. Uh, and I'm not interested in really discussing it. Uh, at all. So more to come on some of that stuff. But um, this week's episode, 
I said earlier, was recorded way back on June 11th. And uh, my guest this week is Ethan DeBreu. Uh, Ethan is the author of The Ink of My Soul and Fire in My Bones. He is the host of the Strength of the Pack podcast, a photographer uh, and an athlete. He spends his day uh, these days on COVID furlough, uh, but he typically spends his day in the accounting world. And from what I gathered, his uh, spiritual journey and his search for meaning exist almost as an escape from the day-to-day world that we all find ourselves in. And I think that's highly relatable that we do these things day-to-day, some of us to get by, some of us to fulfill some sort of hole in our lives, and some of us to excel for certain reasons. And I certainly fit in the excelling for making up for things that I feel are lacking in my own life or to atone for things that I've done in the past. So I, I really relate to the idea of this spiritual journey as a idea of completion. We talked about the state of the world, obviously, because how could we not? We talked about spirituality and religion. We talked about individualism versus the collective and the synergy between the two. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, we just uh, had a good conversation, which is really all you can ask for if you're going to talk to people and record it and put it out for the world to hear. I hope uh, you all have a lovely, wonderful uh, extended holiday weekend and are in a place or position to actually get out and do something um, and aren't locked inside uh, with the with the COVID all around us. Um, Take care. Yeah, take care. Ethan, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Mike. Yeah, thanks. A couple things that I wanted to to hit on, but one thing uh, first kind of set the stage is um, you proudly announce that you're an INTJ. Yeah. And I am as well. And I know that's a small percentage of the population. And I'm wondering, how does that, you know, being one of 16 personality types and and how you see yourself fitting in that, how does that inform the rest of the way that you uh, look at life and interact with each other, with other people, uh, or, how has that contributed to, I guess, your own mindset around strength of the pack? And we're going to dive into all of that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the Myers-Briggs personality test is, it's a really powerful tool because it can give you introspection on your own life as well, give you a little more understanding of the people around you and how to better interact with them. So I was first exposed to these kind of personality tests in college and first, it was, it was my two favorite professors in different classes. Macroeconomics gave me the Belbin personality test, and my philosophy teacher gave me Myers-Briggs. So it really started with Belbin, where I scored as an implementer and a plant. And those were like two highly creative types. And out of 
a hundred students in my professor's classes. I was the only one who scored the way I did. And it really stood out to me. And like, even my professor was like, why are you in business? If you're so creative, like, you know, it's like, you should do more. And like that, that was really like the first time I, I ever like saw with tangible data that I'm, I think a little differently from other people. Then my philosophy professor, uh, Professor Russo, he was more like my mentor in college. And he asked me to take Myers-Briggs. And he wasn't surprised at all when I scored an INTJ. So I really resonate with that, uh, with that scoring, that archetype, because it, it honestly caught me off guard how accurate it was. Like I, I, it doesn't really matter like the rarity aspect of it to me. I, I honestly felt pretty understood when I was reading through it the first time. And I understood what I like in other people and like what I'm attracted to. And I understood why I think the way I do. So I, I think being an INTJ, uh, two of the most important factors of it are the N, which is the intuitive type and the T, which is the thinking type, because I've noticed that I I get along a lot better with people that are intuitive. And sometimes I have a harder time making a connection with someone that's more of a sensing type. So really the distinction there is that people who are intuitive are more likely to look at the world in like a boundless kind of perspective. They're more likely to kind of just question the things around them, the systems that they see. They wonder a little more about life. They have a bigger appreciation for like the arts, like philosophy and music. Like um, there's there's really there's really just a huge world out there that I feel a lot of people are missing out on, you know. And there's like a a well of emotion within ourselves that we we kind of run away from. And we're, we're not really willing to face. And if we really dive into that well, we can get a better understanding of who we really are. So like having that intuitive nature within myself, but then also having the thinking and even the, the J, which is the judging, helps me understand those pieces of myself, help me contemplate how to improve those pieces. And then the J helps me make decisions on how to do it It makes the course of action, not to just theorize about it. Were you diving into yourself before this, or was this like the first exploration into yourself? Uh, You know, I've definitely, I've always been exploring. Like I, I have a naturally like inquisitive mind and I'm naturally very curious about things, how they work about myself and how I work like I started meditating at a, at a pretty young age. I was, I, I know it sounds like, like a lie sometimes because it's so young. I was, I was 12 when I first started meditating. And okay. The reason behind that is because I was practicing martial arts at that age. And a huge component of martial arts was meditation, like the mental aspect of it. And like, I, I would pay attention like to the greatest martial artists, you know, like Bruce Lee, even like Jackie Chan, Jet Li. Like I, I love, I love those kind of people, those kind of mindsets. And at a young age, I was fascinated with what the human body was capable of if you mastered your mind. And I feel like people lose on that aspect. We get you know, we're kind of a weird place in society. Like we've become more secular in some ways and moved away from religion and faith. But then people 
who are more inclined to faith don't really have a lot of faith in themselves, in my opinion. And that's a big statement. Yeah, that's like yeah. They, they put their faith, like literally, they put their faith in God. And secular people put their faith in, in like thought and science. And I kind of find myself in the middle and like I'm I'm pseudo spiritual and like I put my faith in myself and I accept the like the boundlessness of human potential and my own potential and I seek that potential because why not seek the best of yourself? So when I was meditating, I just really wanted to understand myself better. And I really pursued it because I grew up in some pretty humbling circumstances and difficult times. Like domestic violence was a part of my life growing up and, you know, like dealing with self-worth and all that. Like, you know, everyone talks about self-worth, but like my father was, was pretty abusive and he would always try to like put me down like to the lowest place I could be like, like when he lived with us and when my parents were divorced, it was still equally as shitty. And I just constantly kind of struggled that image myself. But at the same time, I'm innately kind of fiery and rebellious. And like, I question what is fed to me. So like that hardship, I think also kind of cultivated the natural INTJ architect type. Yeah. Yeah. Which came first, the INTJ or the Ethan? (sighs) I I think the Ethan was the INTJ, just like from okay. the beginning. Like my mom, like, uh, so my mom is from Singapore. My dad's from Guyana. And like my mom really, they're both strict, right? They have like the immigrant mentality and like, you know, work hard, succeed, you know? And at a young age, my mom would just dive into like the Singapore workbooks for school. And like before kindergarten, like I knew how to read, I knew how to write, I could do multiplication. I actually, it was funny. The teachers tested me when I was in preschool because they thought I had ADD, like every other creative person in America. And it turned out I just had a higher IQ and I tested out of kindergarten and the first grade. I could have skipped right to the second grade after that. And it was just like my mom, what she always told me, she would push me really hard, like unreasonably hard, like sometimes like to do well. And like when she pushed me to the point where like I failed at something, like I would cry, but there were never tears of sadness. There was like tears of anger. I was like, I'll prove you wrong, you know? And like, she'd always say, she's like, I could always do that to you. Like I, I could always push you there. And then you would be determined to show me otherwise. And that's just at my core who I am. And it's really like, a huge component of the reason why I was able to persevere through my own like insecurities, my own like trauma and abuse growing up is because I, I always had a strong sense of identity and I was always curious about what I was capable of if I tried. Yeah, there's some definitely some parallels, not only on, on the INTJ side, but also the, um, you know, backgrounds and I've talked about my own experiences with abuse from stepfathers and sexual abuse as a child and all that stuff. And I think that kind of pushed me more towards being introverted and kind of focusing on myself and escaping Mm in, in books and records and all that kind of stuff that were kind of these insular things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also had the same uh, experience with uh, 
well, he must be must have ADD or ADHD. Let's put him on Ritalin. Uh, when mostly I was just bored as shit. Yeah, I was really, really bored in school. There was a lot <laughs> that you just brought up there, and I want to pick on a few things or un- unpack a few things there. You talked about your meditation practice starting at an early age. Where are you at with that now, and how is that helping you today? So I, I meditate every day for the most part. And I think one of the things that stop people from meditating is their perception of it. And it's like, you know, they imagine some like yogi or guru with a ponytail hair sitting down lotus position. And like, that's, that's really limiting. Like that's not what meditation is. Meditation is kind of just, you can either empty your mind or focus your mind on something. Right. And that's how I look at it. And it can be done anywhere, right? You don't need to, you don't even need to close your eyes. For me, I go for walks a lot, like every day. Like it's raining right now, and I'm still gonna go for a walk after this. And it's just in that walk, there's a purity to walking. There's like a purity to running, a clarity that you can reach if you just focus on your breath. And that's all you really have to do to meditate. Like take 10 minutes in the shower and just focus on your breath, empty your mind. Like don't let, don't let the stress build up inside of you or lock it in a box because eventually it's going to overflow. It's going to burst open and it's going to be too much for you to handle. So meditation today, it helps me handle things as they happen. I don't, I rarely put things to the side. I usually address it like the day it happens, a few hours of it happening. So I'll sit down 10, 15 minutes at night before I go to bed and I'll just close my eyes and empty my mind. And honestly, it's such a powerful tool because, you know, spiritual or not, it's, it's a powerful tool because we're machines, right? And we have to do maintenance. So doing our mind is just like clearing out all the malware, you know, like we're, we're cleaning out all of the things. Dumping that, the RAM. Yeah, that are just hurting us and slowing us down. Like self-deprecating talk, it's malware. It's slowing you down, man. Like you're capable of more. <laughs> Expunge it. And for me, never like, heard anyone call it malware before, but <laughs> yeah, like honestly, I don't think I've ever phrased it that way before yeah, either. But, really good. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it is though. And it's just like, we have to expunge it. Like we have to clean it out of us. Like, I feel like, you know, like, especially in our society, like we're taught more to fit a role in school rather than to critically think. And yeah. we're taught to, we're put seeing our, that now a lot just in, in our culture. Cause in the midst of, so we're recording this on June 11th, uh, 2020. And in the midst of this national protest around race and inequality, we're seeing just the ignorance of the history of our own country from the people who proclaim to love it the most know the least about it. And it's, it's super frustrating that we're taught we're, we're, we go to from the time we enter kindergarten through at least the end of undergraduate. I think once you get to graduate school, there's more opportunity to kind of mm-hmm. think outside the box and use your use your own thoughts and ideas more. But that entire 16 year process is built to mold you to go to work. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we're taught to fit these roles that like it doesn't 
they don't enable us. They don't enable us to really think outside the box. Like for me, I, I always question the source. Like when I'm being told something, I always come at things from like a neutral perspective. Like I try to come in with an open mind before I make a decision on something new. And I try to make sure that all the facts are being presented to me. And people don't really do that, you know? Like, it, it actually even cracks me up, like, with, uh, like, Facebook and stuff, right? Like, people will share articles. But how many of them are actually reading the article? They're just reading the title. Oh, the title supports my opinion. But, but then, like, the article could be written about something, like, completely, like, the antithesis of what they believe. And it's just like I had to troll. turn that shit off. <laughs> I just had to get rid of it. I know. And it's, it's, it's hard, though. Because, like, especially since we're the same personality type, it's, it's really hard to see people do things that make no fucking sense. Yeah. And you're just, you just want to be like, why, like, why yeah. are you doing this? It makes no sense at all. And you show the facts, but they're like, bruh, America, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no convincing them. And it's, it's frustrating to me, but what I've kind of come to terms with is that even though I will receive hate, for saying my beliefs i'd rather say my beliefs and stand for them than not stand for anything at all yeah and you know it's just yeah it's time it's definitely the time for that more more now than uh i mean i'm about to turn 40 so i mean i can't think of a time in in my life where it's been as now's the time to make a to to plant your feet firmly on the ground in a position and say these are the things that are unacceptable you know, we can have, we can have debates about the role of say drug policy in the U S we can have a debate about whether it's a value add to society to put people in prison for using marijuana. That's an argument that we can have, but what's not up for debate is the fact that black folks in this country are six times more likely to go to prison for the exact same drug crime. Mm -hmm. And if we can't agree on that as a, just a, a fact of numbers and stats, Mm -hmm. then we can never get to a good faith argument about whether or not we should even be locking people up, period. And it's super frustrating because it just, and the reason I can't go on (laughs) Facebook and and deal with any of that is just, it, it seems to me that so many people are willing to enter any discussion from the, from their position being a position of bad faith Mm -hmm. and without a good faith argument we can't get anywhere and it's it's just it's it's painful now it, and it's just gets worse every year I, I like the way you frame it like that just having like the good faith argument and like that's something also like intrinsic to the intj personality type because we're both uh the, <laughs> <laughs> the most starry-eyed idealist and the bitterest of cynics at the exact yeah. same time. and like even though like i see the best and the worst of all you know situations i really hope for the best because like without hope like what's the point you know and like i try to give hope in my words my sharing my thoughts with like my book or my podcast and just the people i associate myself with like we're all trying to do good together and i want to touch on all those things but i want to make sure i don't lose something before we get a little further along here you talked about spirituality and finding that in your own way how have you found that and what does that look like for you so like I have my my own way at looking at things like I was raised Roman Catholic 
and I just I don't know. Like it that sounds very Long Island immigrant <laughs> yeah, uh, experience there. Yeah. My my grandfather or my papa as we call him was super super Catholic. And then my father was Catholic and still is. And my mom was and now she's kind of not like <laughs> you know and like when they they just like divorced, a reformed Catholic or just uh she doesn't open, care at all anymore. She's opened her mind a bit, I think. Like she she believes in God, but she believes that all religions are just praying to the same God in a different way. Sure. And I can see that. Like yeah. sure. Like, but to me, like I, I'm an atheist at my core. Or maybe I'm agnostic tech technically, but I I don't I don't believe Well in, in before God. you go on for that, what do you see as the difference between those two? Because that can be pretty contentious to some people. But to me it's like uh atheists like there's a looser way to look at it and then there's the very strict way it's like the strict the very strict way is is like there's no god there's no there's no spirituality there's no nothing there's just there's just is and like i'm an atheist like because i don't believe in religion and that's how i frame myself like a theist like you know op, like you know the antithesis of religion like that's what i believe but I don't believe in God. But with agnostic, like I guess that could also be a hat that fits me, because I, I'm kind of spiritual. Like I, in in a sense, like like the soul is an interesting thing, right? So like you have the metaphorical way of looking at it, and then like I suppose the more realistic way of looking at the soul is just consciousness, and like we are conscious, and isn't that bizarre? Like, you know, isn't it just bizarre that like, yep, I'm going to sit down on my laptop and record a podcast today. It's like, why? Like, what, what does that even mean? And to me, it's just that I frame my beliefs around the idea of consciousness and that perhaps there are different levels to consciousness and like different ways to see the world, experience life, experience other people. And even just from meditation alone, I, I kind of see that there are there are levels out there. There are things that maybe we're not reaching, right? Like a perfect example of what you're capable of with controlled consciousness would be Wim Hof. Are you familiar? Yeah, with the Iceman. The Iceman, yeah. right? He's a superhero, quote unquote. Talk about a guy just figuring out his own thing in this world. <laughs> right. Like he, he, his wife committed suicide and it broke him. And he had to, he just focused on breathing. He's like, his 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 famous phrase is breathe, motherfucker. And like he That shit, his breathing method will wear you out. Uh-huh. The horse stance. <sighs> but like he climbed Mount Everest without a shirt on, in shorts, with boots. And he's trained other people to do it. He says it all the time. He's like, I'm not special. He's like, I just do it. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, damn, you know, he's out here just being Nike, just doing it. And I'm like, wow, like, what if I tried a little harder? Your podcast is called Strength of the Pack. Yes, it is. Yeah, talk a little bit about the title, Strength of the Pack, not necessarily over the strength of the individual, but in addition to maybe the strength of the individual and how all that plays together. So I named my podcast based off of a poem by Royard Kipling called Law of the Jungle. And one of the lines in the poem goes, the strength of the wolf is the strength of the pack and the strength of the pack is the strength of the wolf. So honestly, like I've always kind of identified with the symbolism of a wolf, you know, like everyone, like, you know, they are pulled towards power animals. Right. 
but for me, like I, I really, I really feel it. Like I really feel that I can be a lone wolf and be strong on my own, or I could be even better and be part of the pack and, you know, be able to do more with like-minded people. And that's how I've always felt. So the ideal of my podcast is, is that this is the strength of the pack and everyone who listens are, are like wolves. Like, you know, you're, you're a part of my pack. And the idea is, is that your individual strength is our group strength and yeah. strength in numbers, you know, and it's just to me, like, you know, we're INTJs, me and you, right? And like by, by statistical nature, we, we are rare and few, we're 2% of the population, less if you're a woman. And from that perspective, it's like you can feel alone very easily. Like, especially if you're an enterprising person, like you're entrepreneurial and you want to explore your passions and beliefs. When you're on that path, it could be lonely because people- And exhausting. Yeah. And people will drag you towards what they think is right. You know, get a job. Don't be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, like what? Like you, I see you have music back there. It's like, don't, don't make music. Focus on, you know, like business or something like that. And like those kind of perceptions are there. And it sucks and it's lonely and it's hard thinking the way you think and have no one else understand you. So for me with my podcast, it's like, I just try to give that there. Like I'm honest from like the first episode, I'd say this podcast is a 50, 50 give and take experience. So like, it's not a hundred percent for my audience. It's half for me, half for yeah, you. Yeah. For sure. And, Why else would you do it, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like yeah. people kind of lie, like they they try to pretend everything's altruistic, and it's not. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like I made the podcast to help me grow. People to... lie a lot in this shit. <laughs> All the time. You that know? was that was one of the. I mean, one of the drivers for me wanting to do this was one to have real conversations with with real people. Yep. Uh, two is that listening to a lot of people's podcast particularly when it comes to you know improving yourself and improving others and and your place in that a lot of it's just bullshit <laughs> it's just like if you just do these couple of things you'll be a happy person and your world will be figured out and it's like it's a lot harder than that and so you know a lot of enough people i don't think highlight the depth of the struggle it's like the struggle is often an entry point into like the solution that they found or identify when it's like so you're telling me you don't struggle anymore you figured it all out that must yeah. be really nice right like no <laughs> i like every, everything's perception you know and it's like to me it's like it's okay to struggle like you don't have to hide it like sometimes being vulnerable like like I, you know like there's dividing schools of thought on being vulnerable and then like, especially like masculinity and stuff like that has been brought up in recent times. And like, to me, like where I kind of stand with all that, it's just like, it's okay to be vulnerable as a man, just do it with the right people. Like, you know, yeah. like it's okay to be vulnerable as a woman, just do it with the right people. Like I'm, I have never been the type to wear my heart on my sleeve and I never will be. And yeah. I will share my feelings with people I trust, my wife, my best friends, like those people, they're the only ones that really strangers to, on the internet. Yeah. Like <laughs> you know, the podcast, <laughs> why not? Like to me, to me, it's like with my book and my podcast, like I was my maximum vulnerable self because like, I still have like a level of anonymity with it. Like people you know, they don't know me, but like at the same time, it's like, I wrote it so vulnerably because I know 
people struggle with these things and they're afraid to talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it. And like one of the common bits of feedback that I get is that, you know, I felt felt like I was right there with you in my book, like, like in the book, it's like, I felt like I was walking with you through life. And like, the reality is, is that like, you're not walking through like life with me, like my life, like I'm the guide. I'm, I'm walking with you through your life, through the parallel experiences you had. And although like, it may feel like you're there with me when I'm at these moments where I'm just like broken or I'm enthralled or in love and, you know, like it feels like you're there with me, but I'm there with you because loneliness is a scary thing. It, it kills more people than you think. Yeah. No, and- it's uh, I don't know if you've read like Johan Hari's work on uh, lost connections really great book um, digs into loneliness as an epidemic and then looks at, you know, several groups of people with several individuals um, who are in pretty dire situations and then senses of, or building a sense of community with others kind of lifted them out of that, that situation and also brought uh, in one particular example, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a, a, a gentleman in Berlin who was schizophrenic and came into this community and they were going to tear down part of the community to build new property. And then all of a sudden in this community in Berlin was um, anarchist and punks and Turkish um, immigrants. And they were like diametrically opposed. They never spoke to each other before. And then there was this one gay bar that was like, you can just hold meetings here. So now you've got like this Turkish Muslim women these anarchists and the gay folks all coming together to like build a community organization to save their, um, save their housing. And there was this gentleman who was schizophrenic who had been on pills forever. And the community rallied around him because when he got off his medication, they wanted to put him back in a home. But when he was in the sense of community, he like flourished. And so the, the whole point, and I realized that was a little rambly, but the whole point was this gentleman who had been, locked away in an asylum because of his schizophrenia flourished when he had a sense of community and a sense of purpose around saving this, the housing piece there. So there's so much to do with loneliness and especially now, I mean, where for a lot of people who are, you know, still quarantining or still self-isolating, you know, 100%, it's been three months since, well, tomorrow's three months since the NBA shut down and that kind of was the the domino for everything else to close. And I, I worry about the mental health of people that have been cooped up at home and, you know, don't have a, you know, elderly people who may not have anyone to check in on them and young people who may have been depressed before this or people in really fucked up situations with domestic violence or sexual abuse in their household. And now they're just like trapped. It's just, a nightmare scenario for some people. And that's when, and then I'll stop ranting, but that's like like when I see people say shit like, well, just get the fuck over it. And Frank, you know, stayed in an attic for years and you know, you can't even sit home and watch Netflix. And I was was like, well, when you really explore what Anne Frank was writing about, it was that sense of family and connection and how the, the sense of belonging and sense of purpose can get you through anything. And that's what, that's what drove her not hiding in the attic. If you think the book is about hiding in an attic, then you, you didn't read the book. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it's, it's tough. Like it's, it's really hard to speak with people like that 
and something that I really try to cultivate within myself and other people is a greater sense of empathy. I think people are way more likely to sympathize than they are to empathize. And the difference is, is like, you're stuck at home and you're in a difficult situation. Someone just tells you, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry for you. That That's sympathizing. That doesn't do anything. You feeling sorry for me or that person doesn't change their circumstances. But if you empathize, you, you're there for the person. Like, it, it, even if you don't know them, it doesn't take much to empathize. Just reach out. To me, it's like, I think the most natural thing we can do as people is to reach out when we see suffering. You know, just reach out. Like, just be human. And loneliness has become even more prevalent, I feel, just even before COVID, because we're all just kind of wearing masks, you know? And like social media, it's, it's like bizarre, right? Like we're at a time where we should be the most connected and like the most in tune with one another. But it's it's isolated us more in ways that we may not realize, you know? It's just It makes it easier for your group think to happen even when it's so a group thinks bad like you know it's a negative connotation it's just like you're following a school of thought because other people are like rah rah like yeah i agree you know and it's it may not be factually based and you know like people people just they're lost you know like some people play the imitation game or they just want to be like the famous instagram models and live those lavish lives and you know, or and everyone's posting, you know, motivational quotes every day and stuff. Like, and like, it's, it's sad to me. Like, I see the loneliness that's there. Like, you know, and I, I reach out to people all the time. Like, I just try to like, be appreciative. Like, if I see like someone who's an artist, like, I'll send them a DM and be like, wow, like, I love your work. Like, keep making stuff. Like, it's cool. You know, or like, people that play music or like, one of my friends is awesome guitarist and I'm just like, holy shit, like you could play. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, wow. Like people don't like stop to appreciate it. They're too concerned with like what the Kardashians are doing or something like that. Yeah, it's tough because it's turned us all into a commodity. It's all, we're all we're all selling a product version <laughs> of ourselves. And but at the same time, it's like, what choice do you have, right? Like you, your alternative is to like check out of society. And I know there's a lot of people that, you know, choose not to use social media, but I'd been on social media for a couple of years and, and made it again just because of this podcast thing. And so it's, re it's really weird because there's no other way to share and get the news out. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And I feel for the, the really young folks that are growing up in that environment, which is, I think if you, if you come at social media, knowing and understanding that it's everyone putting their best foot forward and it's selling your best version of yourself, or at least that's what most people do, then you can go into it with the awareness of that and not be as influenced or not feel as shitty about yourself because, you know, rarely are Instagram models, influencers sitting at home, putting a selfie of themselves, you know, watching prices, right. Or whatever. It's just, <laughs> and that's, they're just like the rest of us. I mean, that's what they're doing most of the time is just living the same normal mundane bullshit that we have, that we all have. Yeah. Like I try to focus, I try to frame my mindset 
on being inspired by other people rather than being envious. And like, it's hard. Like, it's hard. Like, it's a natural thing. Like, envy is natural. It happens. But even when I feel like envy and I see something that, that I want that someone else has, I just try to frame it in myself. It's like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And it's, it's really that, that is like the driving factor in my life. It's just that if I see that it is possible and it has been done, I can do it. So like, I try to help people fortify their minds and like to make them more resilient to these things. Like, let me ask you one last thing to take us home here. Um, Meditation, belief in yourself, willingness to change, hope for the future. How the hell are you doing all of that when you turn on the news? What do you, how are you, what do you, when you're laying there at night meditating and thoughts come into your head, what, what, what are you thinking? It's it, the world's so fucking crazy. It's hard for me to even formulate a way to ask that question. That's how insane everything is. I get it. Like I am just as cynical as anyone else, but to me, like, like one of the ways I like kind of frame myself, like rather than frame myself as like, you know, a feminist or an ally or anything like that, I look at myself as a humanist. I put humanity first and I believe in equity amongst humankind. And I believe in achieving our potential like together because we can, we're all the same. So when I see all this negative violence, and nonsense and injustice happening in the world, I have to understand a couple things. Like for me, it's just like one, the media is only showing you the most extreme versions of things because that's what gets views. Yeah. And a handful and two, of violent protesters amidst at this point, probably millions of peaceful ones. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the largest movements in the world and like in history. And, and two, it's just that for all the bad in the world, there will always be more good. And the problem is, is that we focus too much on the bad. Like, I, I don't believe people are inherently good or inherently bad. I'm more like John Locke. Like, we're all blank slates and our experiences kind of form us into who we are and what we become, right? And, like, that that version of ourselves, like, that ego, like, the ego is nothing more than, like, a combination of culture, experience, and just, like, your memories, right? Like, what you're taught in your environment. So, me, I believe that the good beats the bad always like it's not they're not equal it's not an equal push and pull but the problem is that we focus too much on the bad so even though i see the bad it breaks my heart to see it and i wish i just wish i'm like why can't we just be better you know i know there's millions if not billions of other people that feel the exact same way people ordinary people don't want to go to war like ordinary people don't want suffering like ordinary people just just want peace. Like you know, like what what does it matter? Like if you're you think differently from me, or like you're God, my God. Like you know, like it's silly. Like it's just we're just people. You know, to have the same parts on the people. inside. Yeah, we're just people. We just have we have the same parts on the inside. We just have different experiences. Like by random lottery of chance, we're just born to begin with, and then by the second lottery, we're put in whatever spot we are in the world between whatever imaginary lines we've drawn, and then we're adopted into whatever arbitrary label or group that was chosen for us. And then you know you have your choice. It's just do I want to be a part of the herd? Like do I want to be a part of this? group of people 
or do I want to think for myself? And I think I can push people to think for themselves. And I think those people can push people to think for themselves. And like, you know, it's a ripple effect. Like one of the things that say on my podcast is that I focus on gathering ripples of positivity to get a wave of influence. And it's just, you know, together we're stronger. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for that like-mindedness because I believe if more people think like this and they think positively, we can make positive change. And I try to elevate myself and give myself a platform to speak in hopes that someone listens and in hopes that I can make a connection or spark the fire and someone else that, that already had it there, like a little smoke coming up and bang, there it is. There's the flame. Like we all have it. Like I feel there's a combination of passion, empathy, and logic. And if you mix those three ingredients together, you can reach anyone. And that's what I try to find. Yeah, the arbitrariness of it is is just ridiculous. I, I did an episode yesterday on just like uh, some of the common things I hear from mostly white people about race in this country. And I said, I said at the beginning, thirty thousand years ago, a group of people walked north of Africa into Europe, and their skin got lighter. And here we are arguing about this shit thirty thousand years later. So it's all just entirely arbitrary. Mm-hmm and ridiculous we're all just people man yeah i mean like isn't that crazy like how hard it is for us to accept that we'd rather just be different like to me like i love culture like i i've been exposed to a lot of culture and i'm fortunate to that like i'm asian and i'm european and i'm south american guyanese like you know (laughs) like like and i'm a north american america usa american like these are all different cultures and that's fine. That's a great thing. I love when people are able to experience the world, food, music, entertainment, and all these different ways. And we can come in different ways to appreciate it. That's fine. I encourage that. But to me, I'll never be okay with us dividing ourselves by race and seeing like this, you know, ethnocentric approach. Like, I'm better than you, or we group we group an entire like entire like herd like not herd sorry that's a bad word an entire group of people like negatively and it's based off of nothing just stereotypes and it's just like why like why why do we do this like it's stupid like my my best friends are haitian my wife is sri lankan and like you know like it's just like wow their cultures are so different from mine but i fucking love it like i love it so much like I'm exposed to all these foods and, and like ideas that I'd never be exposed to. And it's just like, wow, like this is so cool. It's so beautiful, like in itself. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like to take away culture would be to take away creativity. But Oh, for sure. But to take away race and that, that type of identity that we share is to take away like hatred. Well, that's a big hope. Yeah, I hope though. Like <laughs> I can't, I can't help it. Like, you know, like to me, it's just like, I think fundamentally at my core, I just wish we were better. And like, I definitely don't have all the answers and I'm not. Yeah, like, same here. Like but like, I, you know, like we can't help it. Right. We're all, we're all just like bags of belief, <laughs> like walking the earth. <laughs> like, we all have our own beliefs. We all think we're right in our own ways. And like, I don't think I'm right about everything or anything like that, but like all I'm trying to foster is connectivity. Like let's remember we're just people. Like K 
can we just do that? Like, can you can you just like reach across the aisle and shake the hand of an not right now because of COVID, but of another of <laughs> another person? You know, like, like why? Like why why do we have to do this to ourselves? Like why do we gotta hate based off of stupid things? Like you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. But Black Lives Matter, like naturally, I'm drawn to that, and it's silly to argue against it. Like yeah. what the fuck is the point of being? Well, it goes like, back to that good faith argument. Piece <laughs> it's like if you're not having a good faith argument, we can't have an argument. Yeah, and it's just like, like how dumb do you have to be to just be like all lives matter <laughs> you know like like it's like yeah like if your house is burning down yeah you, you call the fire department like you want to be like all houses matter <laughs> like you know like it's it's like one is on fire let's let's prioritize our efforts here address the problem that is clearly fucking there and just like make it better like we're all american yeah, said yesterday it's like going to someone else's birthday party and being upset because they're not celebrating your birthday <laughs> even though you had a party already yeah they're like that's a great way to look at it yeah before we uh before we wrap um where can folks find you uh so here are a few things so first uh, i mentioned my book a few times the title is the ink of my soul and the fire in my bones you can find it on amazon and barnes and noble my podcast is strength of the pack you can find it on any major podcasting platform. I have an RSS feed. It'll be picked up on anything. Best place to reach me would be Instagram. So you can find me at Ethan Diabreu and at Strength in the Pack Podcast. Awesome. Best place to reach me. <laughs> I'll put all that in the show notes. All right, man. It's been a Good pleasure to have speaking you. with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Hank underscore It's Hard to Know. Or you can email me at mhr at itshardtoknowpod.com. Uh, I hate to ask, uh, but I do it every week. You could like and rate and share and all that good stuff. Gets the word out. Hope you're doing well. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep that positive mental attitude.